what, what I was going to name this message. I knew that I pre-planned it is that I'm in a series called Rise Up. And it's Rise Up Part 2. I have Rise Up Part 3, 4, and 5. It's five resurrections that happened before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and last week, I, I dealt with Elijah and, and what God did through him and, and this widow woman and her son. And, and the thing that I love is at the end of that story, this, this amazing widow woman, when her son was risen from the dead, she said this, now I know that you are the man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. She knows because she has seen God's faithfulness. Today, we're going to look at Elijah's successor, Elisha, and, and how God was able to use him in a similar situation, but different. Isn't that an oxymoron? Just like but different. In it. But let's begin with 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, verse 8. One day, this, I love those stories like that. One day, Elijah went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman, woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came in by, he stopped there to eat. Well, isn't it nice as your travels, you have some friends to be able to go to and they could provide you for with a hot meal. That, that is truly a, a blessing. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our ways is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can, can stay there whenever he comes to us. <laughs> how, how many of you ever, you know, I mean, you have a guest room. How many ever, you know, build in addition to your house for guests? Uh, that doesn't happen that, that often. You may have to call Norm up and say, hey, I could, I'm going to add something to, to my, my home because I have guests coming by. Well, the NIV calls this woman a well-to-do woman. The New King, King James Version says a great woman. There's a commentary that is spoken of her that, that her sister, uh, Abishag, is a Shunammite uh, a woman who is well-known in the history of David. A Chaldean dictionary, a Hebrew dictionary, says that she's a woman-fearing sin. Afraid of sin. Now, that's a good thing to be afraid of. The Arabic says that she's a woman well-known for her faithfulness before God. That is what made her a great woman because she had a heart to serve. And that even though she was well off, she still gave of herself as not about her. Let's move to verse 11. One day when Elijah came, he went up to his room and laid, uh, laid down there. He said to his servant, uh, Gehazi, call the Shumanite. And he called her and she stood before him. Elijah said to him, I find that intriguing is that, you know, she could have said, I'm in the room. You could talk to me, but he's talking to his servant. Tell her you have gone through all this trouble for us now. What can be done for you? 
can we speak uh, um, on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? Well, I mean, I'm talking about influence that he had to be able to bring blessings into this woman's life. She replied, I have a home among my own people. I love that because what, what she is saying, her, her response was humble. She basically said, I'm content where I am. It, it would be nice to be able to be in a better neighborhood, to be by the king's castle or whatever, but, but I'm content to be with my people here in my community. And, and her response was also selfless one because she could, she's been housing this prophet for a while and feeding him. And then he says, what could I do for you? And she could have says, about time, you asked, and bring out her wish list of everything that he could do. But she was saying, I'm content where I'm at and I, uh, with what I have and, and what I'm doing. But she may have been content, but Elisha wasn't. He asked, what could be done for her? Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. You see, this servant knew that in that time, in that culture, one of the, one of the most important things that a, a married woman could have is a child. And she was childless. You know, people, you know, she looked around and she's seen all these people with families and, and she didn't have one. And in fact, there's talk back then that if you don't have a child, you're cursed. And, and she, she could have sensed that people thought that about her. But yet, here's, here's the amazing thing about this woman is that even though she wasn't being blessed by her deep desire. She was still blessing others. Now, that tells me something about her, and maybe it should prompt us to ask the question to ourselves. When I have a deep desire, I'm not talking a, a want I'm talking a desire, a really deep desire. Maybe it is a child or a job or a healing or something of that sort. And, and God is not granting that. How do you feel? Do you feel that animosity? Did you feel that, uh, why is everyone else being blessed and I'm not? Is, is that you're thinking, well, why should I help anyone else when God is not helping me at all in my greatest need that I have? But she wasn't that way. She literally became content in not having what, what she truly wanted and desired. Now, let's look at verse 15. The story goes on. Then Elijah said, call her. So she, um, so he called her, and she stood in the doorway. <laughs> you know, this prophet summons her to his room. She wasn't even going to go in, in inside. I don't know what's going on here. Is he upset with my cooking or with me or, or, or what's going on? So she just comes to the door and stands there. About this same time next year, Elisha says, 
you will hold a son in your arms. Listen to her response. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. You see, here's the thing. Is, is that this, this woman, I think that she always wanted a child, but she came to the place in her age that this was not going to happen. I even think that she just stopped praying about that. Why keep praying for something that is contrary to anything possibly to happen? So she just stopped. And now this, this man of God, this prophet comes to her and says, a year from now, at this time, you're going to be holding a son in your arms. And she's probably saying, don't toil with me. Don't tease me. Don't build up my hopes when, when I have settled that this is absolutely impossible. Verse 17. But the woman became pregnant and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Wow. You know, here's, here's the beauty that I see. I didn't know, I probably would rename this, this message a, a persistent faith, or faith that cannot be shattered, something on that line. Because this woman, in spite of her greatest need, she even probably stopped praying for it because she sensed this just was not going to happen. Yet, yet, in the midst of that, well, seemingly curse upon her, she served the Lord. She continued to do what God directed her to do. No matter what it cost, she added to her, her home. She built an addition so that she could house this man of God. She was continuing to bless others in spite. She wouldn't move out of her neighborhood because she wanted to be with her people, which probably she was serving the community around her as well. She kept working for the kingdom, even though she was not being blessed. Can you do that? Can you literally say that, that I have this need? Maybe it's a prayer request or a job or, or something, and, you, and you're saying, yet this is the greatest need. It's not happening. I'm settling in that it's never going to happen. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and serving the kingdom. Now, I, I want to say that now that's, that's a heart for God because she realized this wasn't about her. It was about her spirit as a woman of faith, of servanthood, and ministering to others. Now, this gift of a child has been given to her. Can, can you imagine the joy when she woke up every morning and saw this child? She probably was happy to wake up in the middle of the night to feed this child or to change this child. What a blessing that must have been. Watching this child grow up and to be a young man. What, what an amazing, joyful gift that was given to her. However, everything changed. It's like, um, you know, 2019, you know, if we could even remember that from having this shadow of 2020 upon us, 
But who would ever dreamt on January 1, 2020, that our world was going to be turned upside down? No one, if we would have told you, if we knew exactly what was going to happen, who would have believed you? They would have said there was no way possible from the pandemic to the, the, the riots in the streets to the chaos of politics to the loss of jobs, all that craziness that was going on, and no one would have dreamt that was coming. She, would, she just didn't see this coming. And look at verse 18 of 2 Kings 4. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. The father told the servant, carry him to his mother. Carry him, which, which said that he probably was falling on his knees. His head was hurting him so much beyond now, I know some, some folks here in the congregation have those migraines, and, and I, I, from your stories, they're horrible. But something was awfully wrong with this child. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on his lap until noon. Then he died. Can you, well, I don't think we can imagine what that would be like. I have been with a lot of people who passed away. Many. But never a child. Holding that child in my arms and watching the life leave that child. Here's where this story gets strange to me. She went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. Scratch your head and go, what in the world are you doing? The day started out wonderful. She, she made breakfast for her son, sent them out to work in the fields with her father. By noon, she was holding this, this young man, this child, in her arms, and he was breathless. I, we don't know if it was an aneurysm. It sounds like it's something horrible happened. It's, it was like this widow woman that we spoke about last week, but, but yet it, it is different because, you see, this child was a miracle. This child was, was a gift of God, and now this happens. And, and, and the idea is is you look at this and, and you're wondering what's going through her mind. She, she could have been thinking that, that God, why, why this? How could this happen? You gave me this gift and now you take it away? Some people say, well, at least it was good to have this child for a while. Really? Because of the enormous loss which she must have felt. How could this be? Verse 22. Now, <laughs> it gets stranger. She called her husband and said, please send me one of um, the servants in the donkey so that I could go to the man of God quickly and return. She's not even telling her husband that his son died. 
Now, I don't know about you, if something like that would happen in my home, my wife and I, honey, I know you're watching, you and I would have a dialogue. It was me talking and you listening. Because I would know why in the world, why you did not tell me. Except, maybe she believed that maybe he didn't have the faith that she had. Or maybe she was worried about, well, her husband saying, well, he's dead. And their custom was he was going to be buried by that evening. And she didn't want that to happen. So she was saying nothing. Why go to him today, the husband said. It is not the um, new moon or the Sabbath. She, she just didn't want to accept this as a reality. I don't know if she, if she felt that, that this child had this, this faith that was beyond, well, I mean, this woman had this faith that was beyond anybody in her family or around her. She didn't want to give up or give in to that situation. It was not going to be accepted. Verse 23. Is it all right she said, oh, it is all right, she said. It is all right? Do you, do you have that kind of faith, my friend, when, when the worst thing in your life could ever happen to you, and you're going to say, it is all right. I'm okay with this. Can you say that? This woman was saying it. Was she in denial of what was happening? Or was her faith so unshakable that she was not giving in to what maybe her mind was saying? Because in her mind, the reality is this child died. He is no longer breathing. He is dead. But her heart is saying, I'm not giving in to this circumstance. I'm not giving in to this situation. She said, she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she sat out and came to the man of God on Mount Carmel. And when, she, and when he saw her in a distance, the man of God said to his servant, Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. It's all right. Is she in some kind of denial? And yet she was saying, it's all right. She knew in her heart. And maybe it's the idea is that she heard about. Now, the widow woman, never anything like that has ever happened before that. No one was risen from the dead. Now, the Shunammite woman, she had this story maybe that Elisha said about Elijah, what happened, how their child was risen from the dead. And she's saying, why not my child? Wow. I ask myself, do I have that kind of faith? Do I have that kind of trust? 
I, I want you to know, family of God, the world around us and all of its chaos is watching you. They're, they're watching you to see, are you serving the Lord because what you get from him, or are you serving the Lord because you love him? There's a difference. He's not a cosmic servant. I mean, it could be, you know, look at Job and everything that he went to. It wasn't what he was getting from God, but he was serving him because he loved him. I cannot allow, we as a child of God, if we are going to walk in the chaos of this world today, this world needs to see that we recognize the chaos. We may be going through that chaos. We may be experiencing the sorrow of that chaos, the grief of that chaos. And yet they could look at us and being able to say that I literally trust in God. It's all right. Wow. Joanne, I can remember when you were pregnant with Bella. She would come to church. I'm telling you, this woman would be in excruciating pain. And she would say, it's all right. I go, are you out of your mind? I, you know, older I get, more I thank God I'm a man. You women, your bodies are way too complicated. Too many things could go wrong. Uh, I could not handle it. So God said, Tom, you're going to be a man. I go, I'm okay with that. Uh, this woman, she is saying, I'm all right. Hmm. Because she understood Psalms 30, verse 5. Weeping may remain for a night. But rejoicing comes in the morning. You see, she understands that, that that rejoicing through the weeping of the night, that rejoicing is something beyond what we could really put words to. I can remember years ago when we were visiting our daughter, well, really our granddaughter, you know, I mean, she happens to live with my daughter, but I wanted to visit with my granddaughter. And my granddaughter, Hunter, she says, Mommy, I'm so excited for Grandma and Grandpa to be coming is that I have no more words in my mouth. <laughs> and that rejoicing, there is no more words in her mouth. You know, that, that brings me to thought... When when my praise when when my cries unto the Lord or when my praise unto the Lord when there is no more words in my mouth that's when the Holy Spirit takes over and He begins to speak of the groanings in my heart. Verse thirty twenty seven and twenty eight. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord had hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I, then here's her response. Now, I want you to know, it's not like she's angry at him or angry at God, really. I, I think she was just expressing her feelings, what she was experiencing. He says, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? 
She said, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Here's a woman who was expressing her emotions, her feelings, but yet she laid that child on Elisha's bed. Yet she did not tell her husband that this child was dead. Yet she got on this donkey and she went straight away. She says, don't stop. Don't talk to anybody. Get me to that man of God. There she is. How do we reconcile all this? It's not really easy. All, everything that she was going through, and as I said, some people says it was better than to have, at least you've experienced it, and I always respond, really? Can you reconcile it by holding to the facts that despite of everything that you're experiencing and saying God still loves me? He's not out there. He's not a cruel God to see what kind of misery that he could put us through. So I asked myself in reading this word, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to this church? What are you saying to us as the body of Christ? Will it draw us closer to him? Will, will, we, will we, through the experiences of what we're going through, saying that, that I'm still going to have faith when nothing is working out? It's like it's in God. It seems like everything I touch is turning to rot. Will I still trust him? Still believe in what you're able to do? Do I really believe that you love me? Will I be like Job? And say, the Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Oh, Wow. Do you know what? I, I really do believe that, that what we experience this morning in our worship and praise is because there are those of you in this sanctuary are going through those very tough times, those very challenging times. You have questions of wondering, why is this happening to me? And yet you lift up your arms and your voices and you're worshiping and praising the Lord. That's why this sanctuary in your homes was filled with the glory of God. It's like his train filled the tabernacle. <sighs> because it was a sacrifice of praise. And it was recognized. And it is seen. But one of my biggest concerns at times is that when we're going through these things, how is it going to change our perspective of God? Now, Let's look at verse 29. Eliza said to Gehazi, take your cloak into your belt and take my staff into your hands and run. <laughs> I, I really like that. He says, I don't want you to trip up in that coat. Take it in your belt. Get my staff, and I want you to take off, my friend. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. If someone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Wow. That's intriguing. Why? I didn't hear that he didn't, well, he didn't pray about this before. That it's not said anything. I mean, did he think maybe that staff was, you know, maybe here's a staff. Hey, I remember some great things happened to a staff. I mean, look at Moses. He put it over the Red Sea and divides. 
to see if the staff thing works. You know, it, it, it's like at times you know we, we hear people they 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 anoint handkerchiefs and take it home, you know, and lay it on someone. Hey, I heard that working. Let's try that. And so he tried this, but the child's mother said. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. She didn't even go with the servant. This woman just blows my mind because she is staying so steadfast in her faith. She's saying, man of God, I'm not leaving you. So she got up and followed her. Went to uh, went on ahead and laid his staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy has not awoken. Now what do we do? What 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 am I supposed to do? Now I think though that if that woman went with that servant and nothing happened, it would have been a greater disappointment. I thought something was going to happen. I thought God was going to do something. But she knew, for some reason, she was sticking with that man of God and staying there. And, and, and the thing was, was that, well, listen to verse 32 and 33. And when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on a couch. He went in, shut the door of the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Bingo. He prayed. Yeah. I'm almost scared to say this, but, but sometimes we men of God think, well, we have these things in which we have this box of, of tricks that we pull out. Well, try this, try that, try another thing, because they worked with this, that, and another thing, and, and didn't even pray about it. This woman knew that it was Elisha who needed to go because she was staying beside his side. And, 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 and I, want, I, want, I want to say something here is that, well, that as he shut that door and he prayed, he, God spoke to him. And, and for some reason, because after all this was done, Here's what he did after he prayed. Obviously, because who's going to ever think, hey, hey I'm going to try this little trick. Verse 34 and 35 says, Then he got on the bed, and he laid upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, and hands to hands. Which tells me this was not an infant. This was not a toddler. He was able to be this practically the size of this man. And he stretched himself out upon them, and the boy's body grew warm. Elisha <laughs> turned away and walked back and forth in their room. And then he got on that bed and stretched out before him at once. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. C can you imagine? Okay, all right, I'm going to try this. This is, I, God, you got to be kidding me. I know you told Elijah to do this. Now you're asking me to do this. It's a little bit different, and, and, but yet I, I'm going to do this. And, and he lies down. He goes, whoo, I could feel the warmth of this child. He gets off. He goes, Wow, what do I do now? He's walking back and forth, back and forth. Okay, he's, okay. Uh, I'm, a, I'm prompted by the God to lay on him again. I laid on him again. And, <laughs> I don't think, Elias, I don't think he, he said, Kutsuntite. 
<laughs> I, I think he came off of that boy like a, he was a snake, you know, <laughs> jump off of him. What just happened? Then all of a sudden, hate you, hate you, hate you, hate you. Five, hate you, six, hate you, seven times. Why in the world seven? It was a perfect number. It's life. But, but, but you read up on it, and, 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 and sneezing at times is, is well, it's, it's jolting the whole body. Now, this boy may have had an aneurysm, and, and, and God says, oh, I could fix that, you know. You could remove it. He goes, oh, I'll have some fun with this. Well, little boy. Hitchu! Shakes that thing up, whatever it is, loosens it. Hitchu! Loosens it more. Hitchu! Seven times. That's seven times. It's like, it's like the, the leper going in, in, into the Jordan River and it's muddy and that and goes dip one, two, three, four, five, six and thinking, man, this is not working. And the seventh time he came out clean, the seventh Time he sneezed, something broke loose. I think all of heaven. This is when eternity invaded the present. This is when, when God performed that work in which he intended to do. This is what happens when you become obedient to do something that you're supposed to do, but you sent someone else to do it, but God says, I want you to do it. Verse 34 and 35. Then the boy got up to the bed, and then he got up from the bed, and he laid the boy mouth to mouth. He stretched out around, and he sneezed. His eyes opened. Elijah summons Gesai, verse 36, and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came and fell at the feet and bowed on the ground. Then she took her son and went out. I don't think she bowed to worship. I think she fell on her knees with gratefulness. It is that tenacious faith that she was not going to give up. Here's, here's what I believe, what the Holy Spirit is saying to the body of Christ today. You may not like what's going on in our world today. You may even feel that I have abandoned you in the midst of it. You may have gone through some physical issues. You may have gone through some incredible financial stress. You may have gone through some, some domestic issues with the family and all. Who knows? I, I just know this is that our world is in absolute chaos and the body of Christ is not void of that. We are experiencing that as well. But God is saying to us, I want you to have that tenacious spirit, that faith. I want you to know and be obedient to what I'm saying to you. I'm not asking you to tell someone else to do it. I'm asking you to do it. Listen to this in Philippians, the first chapter, verse 6, from the ESV. It says, I am sure of this. I love that kind of spirit. That he 
who has begun a good work in you will bring it into completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that that work of which he begun in this woman was even before he gave her that child. That work he was doing, she was faithful in serving the Lord. She was content where she was. She trusted in the obedience of God, even though she was not being blessed in her deepest desires. God was using her. Can you do that? In the midst of, of your sorrow and pain, can you still serve the Lord? Can you still bless others? Or would you think, well, God's not blessing me. Why should I help everybody else? But the world is watching us. There's something different about the family of God. And by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb is by what they do. We've been talking about that recently. Is that God is telling us to rise up. I know that, that we want to see God do something, but God can't do something until we rise up. we got to give him that opportunity. we got to be a part of that environment that he sets us in and saying, this may look like it's not working, but you're finding yourself obedient in doing this. The work of which, a good, a good work in you to bring it to its completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to that completion. He's challenging us like he's never challenged us before in this season of chaos. <laughs> I have people saying, boy, when is this going to be over? Aren't you going to be glad this is all over with? Part of me says, yeah. It's like having a toothache. Aren't you going to be glad when that's over with? Yeah. You know, are you nuts? But during the time of pain, those experiences are calling on to God. It may have been like nothing you've ever experienced before. A dear friend of mine, Tommy Payne, he died of Lou Gehrig's disease. There's two ways you die of that. One, it attacks your body, but your mind is totally alert. Everything, everything's shutting down your world. The other attacks your mind and you're not aware. Both kill you. It attacked his body. He, he told me, he said, Tom, there are days in which it feels like I'm falling into an abyss, a bottomless pit. But I wouldn't change one moment for what I was experiencing in being in the presence of God. It's like Paul and Silas in the prison being beaten in shackles. <laughs> Those foolish men start singing. It's like you this morning when you were worshiping the Lord through the chaos of your life, you start praising God and you fill this place with the glory of God. I believe at that moment there were healings going on in the sanctuary. See, he's calling us to rise up. Don't ask sometimes for someone else because we're we, we being prepped in a world today is that we want the government to do something, the community to do something, people to do everything for us. And what God is saying, body of Christ, rise up. I'm calling you. I'm asking you to do this. Matthew 18 verse 19 says, Again I say to you, but if, 
that if two believers on earth agree, this is as one in mind, in harmony. About anything that they ask within the will of God, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So family of God, rise up. Would you stand?